in sports, they keep records. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, so you can pray for me on that count. And our question every season is, are we going to be 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7? and seven? That's how you keep records. You know God's record? Undefeated. People struggle against him. People resist him. People oppose him. People curse him. People disbelieve him. People disbelieve he even exists. But he, we've been singing the truth. He's undefeated. And if you're in Christ, you may de be defeated many times, but you will win. And that's what we're here to celebrate. So would you pray with me one more time? Father, meet with us now. The restrictions are strange and they can be discomforting. But thank you for these who have come in person. It is so good, even with masks, to see their faces again. To know that I can meet with a little portion of my family of faith on this corner. Thank you for the amazing volunteers in the back of the room, for the musicians, instrumentalists, and the singers who have been serving all of us quietly, most invisibly, so that we can have church in some way. Jesus, we desperately need to hear from you. If we don't hear from you, none of this will count for anything. So give us ears to listen and make us quick to obey. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. On your way out, would you thank the people in the back of the room? They have just been extraordinary. It's actually been, because of the health restrictions and our concern for everyone's safety, there's been a very small group of people serving week after week to put this online. Uh, and I've a soldier taught me a military axiom. It is this, no plan survives contact with the enemy. You can plan and prepare, and as soon as the battle starts, everything changes because something goes wrong. The enemy has a vote, too. It's never been flawless, but I am so enormously grateful. I'm so, so impressed with the faithfulness that I've seen in the back of the room on this stage through the music. Thank you, and thanks to all of you for being here today. Shall we open the Bible together? Look in Mark chapter 6. If you're online at home, quiet the kids, kick the dog out of the house, and look with me in Mark chapter 6. I get pictures sometimes of people cuddled up with their Bible and their dog uh, at, at home. Today we're in Mark chapter 6, and we're going to discover something fascinating that may surprise you. You can do exactly what Jesus tells you and get in a great deal of trouble anyway. That's what the disciples are finding out in Mark chapter 6, that you can do exactly what Jesus wants. In fact, you can do what Jesus commands you and get yourself in a great deal of trouble. In fact, you may find yourself in more trouble because you've obeyed him than if you wouldn't have before you met him. Everything changes when you come to Jesus. Because as the disciples are learning to call him, and sometimes their words are better than their obedience, they're learning to call him Lord. And what that means, church, is that Jesus isn't a consultant, he's a boss. And too many people are trying to take Jesus on as an occasional coach and an occasional helper. A consultant does what you ask and gives you the kind of advice in the area of life that you want 
where you've asked, and it's really up to you after you've, given that, after you've been given that counsel to decide whether you want to follow it or not. Jesus isn't a life coach. He's not a consultant. He really is the Lord. And in Mark chapter 6, the disciples may find themselves surprised because they've done everything Jesus told them to do, and it has meant nothing but exhaustion. It has meant nothing but surprise. It has meant nothing but a deep weariness with people. In fact, they can't possibly understand what he's doing. We're going to be toward the end of the chapter, but I want to tell you what's leading up to the trouble the disciples are going to find themselves in in Mark chapter 6. In Mark chapter 6, in one of the most famous events in Jesus' life, in fact, an event so remarkable that all four gospel writers tell you about it. Jesus has sent the disciples out in teams to do what he has been doing. The ministry of Jesus is changing. His mission is too. He began preaching alone, then he called the twelve to himself, and now he's sending the twelve out. And he is very deliberately not going with them. He's going out, they're going out to announce the good news that Jesus is here, that all the promises in the Old Testament that you're holding in the Hebrew Scriptures, they're all true and they're all being fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth. That he was the one that Isaiah looked forward to, that he is the one that Micah spoke of, that he is the one that David prophesied of in the Psalms. It's all true, it's all happening right now. Messiah has come, the Savior and the King of Israel really is among us. They've been doing that, and to their astonishment, ordinary people like fishermen and a tax collector and a political activist, really a revolutionary, have been finding that at their preaching in the name of Jesus, they're doing the exact same things he, the Son of God, has been doing. And the crowds have been swarming them. There have been so many people around them that the Bible says in these accounts that they didn't even have time to eat. Question here for the crowd, this little group of people that's in person. Have you ever worked so hard that you didn't have time to eat? That might have happened to me once in my life. As you can see, I generally find a way to uh, eat. It doesn't take that long to eat. I can ingest a thousand calories in about two minutes flat. The disciples have been under such duress. It's not that they don't want to. They can't eat. And Jesus sees them at their breaking point and says, let's have a retreat. Let's go away. And they try to sneak across the Sea of Galilee, but a, somebody sees them leaving, and by the time the boat runs ashore at their destination, a crowd has already formed in front of them. And Jesus gets out of the boat and looks out on this crowd, and the Scripture says that he has compassion on them because they were a sheep that didn't have a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Now, if you're the disciples, that's a moment of disappointment these thousands, because eventually Mark is going to tell us there were 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. That means a crowd of fifteen to 20,000 people gathered around them. They all sat down and arranged themselves as best they could so that they could hear Jesus teaching, and it's fifteen to 20,000 people. 
Children getting impatient, people who have health problems, maybe you're passing out in the back, children are crying out for food or their mothers. Nobody planned this. It's a nearly chaotic situation. And toward the end of the day, they make the reasonable suggestion to Jesus that he send the crowd home. He says, they mass their request with compassion. We're out in the boonies. It's getting late. They have nothing to eat. Do you remember what Jesus told the disciples? He said, you feed them. <laughs> and he sends them back out into the crowd, exhausted as they were. They didn't even get their day off to collect all the food that they could find. What they find in a crowd that big because it was hastily assembled, because nobody planned to be there. There's one kid with a kid's lunch. Five little pieces of bread, two little pieces of fish. They bring it back to Jesus as if to say that this is all there is. But he takes it, and he looks up to heaven, he prays over it, and then he gives it to the disciples and says, feed them. And 12 men, doubtless with help, fed about 20,000 people. Now, this is a small group by necessity in this room. How long do you think it would take the group here, which is much larger than 12, how long do you think it would take us to feed 20,000 people? Just to distribute the food. Would that be an easy task? Not at all. But they've done it, and when, he's, when they've done that, he makes them collect all the remnants. And they, what they come up with is 12 baskets of food, one per man, because Jesus is trying to teach them something that to this point they haven't been able to see, that he really is the boss and he really will provide for them. And then, in the Gospel of John, it says, the people, the crowd is so overwhelmed, they try to make Jesus king on the spot, but he won't do that. Jesus didn't come for a throne, not in his first coming. He came for a cross. And though he is the king, he won't be a king without going to the cross first to pay for my sins and for yours. So he sends the disciples away in the boat, and that's when it really gets tough. Look with me in Mark chapter 6, verse 45. It says, Immediately, after all this feeding, after all this exhaustion, it says immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. Are you getting the picture? Where's Jesus? He's by himself, up on a mountain. Where are they? They're trying to get back. They've worked all night. They didn't get their break. They've worked all day. Now they're rowing through the night, and here's where the real trouble starts. Verse 48, he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Have you felt like you've been rowing into a headwind for the past couple of months? I have. One gospel, one translation of this gospel says he saw them straining at the oars. I thought, wow, what a word picture. You see, the simple task of rowing a few miles to go home, that's tedious enough because the boat they were in was not much longer than this stage from corner to corner, not counting the steps. Those of you who have been with us to Israel have seen that. Many of the men in the boat don't belong in a boat. They're not fishermen. They're not helpful. 
The boat is barely carrying them along. This is much too large of a group to make the transportation easy. And as they set out, a storm, which the Sea of Galilee remains famous for, blows into that little depressed area of land, and they are rowing straight into a headwind. Now, if you were in the boat, what might you have said to the person beside you? Are you kidding me? Have you said what next at any point during the last two months? Like, what could possibly go wrong? Now, well, everything's gone wrong. They started the day too tired and too hard-pressed to eat. They didn't get their day off. They spent the day working instead. And now they're simply trying to get back, and they can't, and it's getting late. Look in verse 48, he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, that means between three in the morning and six in the morning. One translation says, just before dawn, he came to them walking on the sea. Now, if you've been in church for a long time, you just read that and said, yeah, okay, that's Jesus. That's what he does. He very famously walks on water. Can you just, like, forget all of your Bible education for the last 20 or 30 years and just marvel at what you were just told? Jesus has been praying. He looks out and sees that these men who should have been home hours ago are still at it. They're straining at the oars. They're on a terrible water treadmill going absolutely nowhere, and it's in the middle of the night. It's somewhere before dawn, and his response is to come to them walking on the sea. And here's a funny little note. It says he meant to do what? He meant to pass by them. Do you see the humor in that? Because let me teach you something about Bible stories. For those of you who are reading the Bible, anytime it's narrative, anytime there's a story, anytime there's a detail, that is the author slowing the action down to help you pay attention. It's like slow motion in a movie. And we haven't been told much, but we're told that the disciples, after an exhausting day, are stuck in the middle of the lake, in the middle of a storm, going absolutely nowhere, straining with all that they have, no doubt the professional fishermen on board, shouting and asking for help and lamenting that they brought the tax collector, because all he does is add weight, he's no help whatsoever. And in the middle of all this exhaustion and all of this frustration, here comes Jesus who sent them into the middle of all this trouble, and what's he doing? He's walking by. And I read this story again. I've read this story for years, and it just made me think of how much and how often I've spent time straining at the oars instead of looking for Jesus. See, my natural inclination, apart from Christ, when the storm kicks up, is to try harder. Get good advice. Don't do anything stupid, for sure. Get the best advice you can, but get up earlier and stay up later and just keep grinding. Just keep at it. Just keep pulling on those oars. Surely we'll get there. Where's Jesus during all this? He's doing one of two things. He's praying 
or he's walking over the storm that has them so troubled. Do you see why he did that? He's purposeful. He's never random. He's never accidental and he's never casual. He's walking over the storm as if to tell them, is this what you're worried about? This. He's going to walk right by the boat. And it says, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. Now, can you understand their point of view? See, according to some Bible scholars, there was a Jewish superstition that the storms were caused and were inhabited by ghosts. And even though these are the disciples of Jesus, perhaps there's a little bit of superstition left in them. Maybe they're like us, and not every bit of their hearts and minds has been transformed by love for Jesus. They see Jesus, they think it's a ghost. These grown men scream in terror, it says, for they all saw him and were terrified. Now, the familiarity of the story perhaps threatens to make it lose its impact, its punch for you. Have you been terrified through any of this? I have. I don't think I've suffered through the real horror and the life-changing fear that a lot of people I've talked to have, but I've felt that low-grade anxiety that seems to be gripping our whole country. People can go through storms, and if they're not aware of who Jesus is, what he's doing, where he is, we can act just like these disciples, but Jesus is going to take care of it. Look at the, uh, in the middle of verse 50. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. There's two instructions in that verse around a single statement. Jesus said, Take heart, commandment number one. It is I, and then what's the second commandment? Don't be afraid. You see, there's, I think, something deliberate here in this story. I think Jesus is being purposeful. You need to remember that at home or here in the room. No matter how chaotic your heart is and no matter how difficult and chaotic your circumstances are, Jesus is always deliberate. He doesn't work on contingency plans. As we prepared for this online service, we changed our mind about things we were going to do about 58 times, and that was just on Monday. Why is that? Because we don't know what we're doing. No one's ever led through anything like this. We're doing the best we can. Jesus not only does the best he can, he always does what's right. And he says to his terrified disciples, take heart. Don't be afraid. And what ties those two commandments together, and the reason you can do that is found in the statement in the middle. It's a little awkward in my translation of the Bible. Jesus said, it is I. We would more colloquially say, it's me. Why did he phrase it that way? For those of you who like the Bible, like to study the Bible on a slightly deeper level, let me share something with you. Jesus almost certainly, from what we can tell, spoke Aramaic, which is very similar to Hebrew. This gospel, though, this New Testament is written in Greek. And when Mark wrote this story in the Greek language, what he wrote was this, take heart, I am, do not be afraid. 
See the connection? Way back when Israel was in Egyptian captivity, he came to a man in a great deal of trouble and said to Moses, you're going to bring my people out of Israel. Moses wanted nothing to do with it because he was afraid. He said, if I go, who should I tell them sent me? And God said, tell them, I am. Jesus is doing things that only God can do. He is dominating nature. He is striding across storms that terrify his disciples. And from the middle of that, he tells his disciples, you have absolutely to nof- you have absolutely nothing to be afraid of because I am and I'm here. And that statement is very telling, and I hope you carry it with you in your heart because the point is this, the storm around us rages and Jesus just is. He just is. He is what? Well, Jesus is praying. See, when Jesus is on the mountain, we're not told about the contents of his prayers, but we're told later in the New Testament that Jesus lives even now to intercede for the people who come to him. Did you know that in all this storm and all this loss and all your fears, Jesus has been praying for you? What's the first thing we do when we get in trouble? We fire up the prayer team, right? All week long, my phone, my email, don't stop because people are saying, this is what's happening, I've lost this, I'm going into the hospital, my mother's gone into the hospital, my job has been cut, I have less money, I have less employment, my children are sick, all kinds of needs. And the request is always a good one, a Christian one. Would you please pray for me? Yes, I will. Yes, I do. I have even better news. Jesus is praying too. Jesus, who's in charge of everything, is praying too. He just is. And the point of this is that you don't have to be afraid of anything because Jesus is in charge of everything and he's with you. Look at verse 51. It says, he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. Wow. The instant he was in the boat, just like that, just like hitting a switch, the storm was over. Another gospel adds that at that moment they arrived at their destination. What is Jesus trying to show them? He's trying to get them in that moment He showed them they were not ready, as I'm about to tell you, that they didn't have to be afraid of anything because Jesus is in charge of everything and he is with them. At that moment, I doubt they could have thought about it, but what they should have heard, what they should have known is what God promised 700 years before Jesus. Listen to this, Isaiah 43 When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. That promise was made to Israel 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Jesus makes it and keeps it to you right now. When you pass through deep waters, you don't have to be afraid because I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I will be with you. But that's not all there is to the story. The conclusion of the story is actually in the 52nd verse. Because though the disciples went through all this with Jesus, 
The moment he was in the boat, the wind ceased. They were utterly astounded. And now Mark tells you why. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. What loaves? What's that a reference to? The feeding of the 5,000. And Mark leaves the story there. He leaves that statement burning on the page to portray to us where the disciples were at that moment. You see, in all of that long day of feeding of the 5,000, all through that long night while he prayed for them, all through that long night while they slaved and battled their way through a storm, that he ended at the exact moment he pleased when he got in the boat and the wind was immediately shut off like a light. They didn't get the benefit of any of it because they had a tough heart. And they could not understand who he was, and they had no idea of what he was doing. You see, and here I think is the most practical thing I can share with you from this story. One of our sayings in the United States is that when times get tough, we need to get tougher. Some people say tough times don't last, but tough people do. Have you heard that? And certainly I understand that. There's some wisdom there. It speaks about resilience. It speaks about courage. All of that is good. Can I give you a different perspective from this story? When you do all that Jesus asks and he sends you into a tough time anyway, what he wants to see from you is not toughness, but tenderness toward him. A wide-open heart that says, I've been in all this trouble, and Lord, I don't understand why this storm has engulfed me. I don't know where you are. Because surely the disciples asked themselves and asked each other as they went through the storm, we're only in the storm because he sent us out here. Why didn't he come with us? Is he ever coming back? Are we going to be swamped and drowned out here? None of that was going to happen. The storm ended the very moment the one who was in charge of the storm and in charge of everything wanted it to. The question is only whether we are going to trust him. So my invitation for you is not to get tougher. Yes, be courageous. Yes, be strong. All of those encouragements, all of those instructions are in the Bible. But in all your courage, in all your toughness, in all your resilience, make sure that your heart remains tender to the Lord. And that has been one of the great blessings. When this began, I feared for our church and prayed eagerly and anxiously to God, God, what will this do to the congregation? What will this do to individuals and families and marriages and children? What I have seen is a better thing than I dared pray for. I've seen more love, more courage, more endurance, more patience, more wisdom, more understanding than I thought any local church was capable of. What we need to do is not strain on the oars against the storm but keep our hearts open and tender toward the Lord, trusting that the storm will be over the minute he wants it to be, and whether it's stormy or peaceful, the Lord God Almighty, our Savior Jesus Christ, is with us. Let's pray. 
going to give us just a moment here in the room and you online if you can join us to pray. Maybe you've been very afraid through this. Maybe your fear has shown up as toughness. You've grown curt and quiet, difficult, distant. Could I just encourage you please to open up your heart to the Lord? Tell him that you're going to try to take your eyes off the storm that has so terrified you and you're going to be tender and open toward him instead. Maybe in the room or maybe online, this is the time it took all of this for you to humble yourself before Jesus. I'm inviting you not to join a movement, not to change religions, but to trust a Savior, to trust the Savior who's in charge of storms. This has affected every human being on earth, but maybe Jesus' will in your life is for you to finally give up on yourself and entrust yourself to him. Maybe he's allowed the storm to rage around you and in you to make you finally give up on the oars and trust him instead. If that's your situation, friend online or maybe here in the room, could I just ask you to text his name to this number? the word Jesus to this number, 714-868-7258. Give it to you again, 714-868-7258. That again is just an automated system that it'll reach us. And by sending that text with his name, Jesus, to that number, you'll be signaling that you you're trusting him, or maybe you have a question about him, you need help from him, whatever that is, wherever there you are with him, I'd invite you to let us know so that we can come around you and pray for you and walk with you through these next few days or weeks, however the storm lasts, and we can trust him together that it'll be over when he wants it to be. We'll close our service by taking time to pray for him. Let's pray from right here, from this corner, out through our city, across our state, across this country that has so much need of him. Let's pray together, church. Jesus, the storm rages on and, and you, you just are. What a humbling thought that as I pray to you, you are, you're praying for me. Thank you. You're praying for all of us. You don't get tired. Your memory's not faulty. You don't change your mind because you have new information or better understanding. You're the Lord. You're our Savior. You're our God. And you're capable of anything and everything. It's all under your charge. And the only thing in this story, Lord, that resisted you were the disciples. You're in charge of everything. And the only thing that opposed you and misunderstood you was not the wind or the waves. It was your disciples. Help us have a tender heart instead and follow you into peace and blessing or yes, Lord, even into storm and difficulty knowing that wherever you take us, you're in charge and you are with us. Thank you. I praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends online, this has been the Strangest experience. I keep saying it, but I only say it because it's true. 
For about two months, I've been learning to preach to a camera. Now there's actually a few people here. Praise God for all of you. It's just strange. Now there's people here. You look like surgeons or bandits. It's very, very unsettling. But we're a family of faith. And we're not perfect, but we have a perfect Savior, and we love each, we love each other, and we love Him, and we're going to keep doing that as partners, as brothers and sisters. We're going to carry on for the glory of God and the good of the people around us. Friends online, don't stop praying. If there's something we can do for you, wherever you are, we'd love to serve you in the name of Jesus. There are more needs and bigger questions than I can answer and that I have the wisdom to address, but as best we can, in the name of Jesus, we're here for you. So let us know however you please, online, through the chat, through the social media platforms, by sending me an email, whatever we can do for you. Please let us know, and we will gather in person, as I'm about to explain to the people here in the room, indefinitely, as we're going to open up as much as we can under the guidance of the health authorities. We're going to stay online at 9 and 11. And if you'd like to join us in person, if you're comfortable with that, feel free, if you're local, to go on to our website and make a reservation for this next Sunday. God bless you. We love you. In the name of Jesus, we say goodbye for now, but we're here to serve. Have a wonderful week.